Welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina, and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. And in this episode, I spoke with Hansa, the founder of Sukoon, a health tech company focusing on battling health inequity, especially within the cardiac space. It's a really interesting episode. We haven't yet had a episode that is dedicated to health tech. And so this is the one episode that, you know, I really want to bring to you guys. We've, we've covered startups from so many different areas, but we haven't covered health tech yet. And this is the episode for you guys. So we spoke about the unique challenges that arise with starting a health tech company compared with other sectors. We also debate about whether to build a startup focusing on problems within developing or developed countries. And also the strategies Hansa has used to build a healthy team culture that has led them to pivot rapidly into different spaces seamlessly and how you can build one too. She didn't start out as a cardiac company. She actually started out as a different one. So be sure to stay tuned to listen to how she pivoted. And the team culture was really, you know, uh, fundamental to that, to that healthy pivot. So that brings me this week to the shout out. So if you don't know, every week I'm giving a shout out to someone who's left a written review on Apple Podcasts as a way of saying thank you to you guys for basically supporting the page. So if you want to feature in the next episode in the form of a shout out, please be sure to leave a Apple Podcast written review, all right? Leave your name and I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. So in this week, we are giving a shout out to KTR1313, who says, really enjoying learning about the different businesses. This show has a great host, easy to listen to and asks the right questions. Looking forward to the next episode. Thank you so much for that for that lovely comment. And, you know, so nice to hear that you're enjoying the content and really learning a lot as well in the process. That's what this podcast is all about. So if you also want to get a shout out in the next episode, be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts and I'll give you a shout out. So without further ado, let's go on with the episode. Hey, Hansa, how are you doing? I'm great, Sina. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited. Been looking forward to this all week. No, my absolute pleasure. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. You've had a pretty busy, so we're recording this on a Saturday for people who don't know. So, And you've had a pretty busy Saturday so far, we were saying. Yeah, yeah. Five hour long workshop with the Hatch Enterprise Launchpad, which we're so fortunate to be a part of and to have been selected into. But then uh, capped by other meetings with the interns we have on board, with the co-founders. It's, it's been a very uh, interesting weekend. It's kind of what you have to do because you're studying full time and not only just studying, but you're studying for a PhD, right? So that's pretty full on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I feel like I'm kind of cheating because this week I honestly spend more time on my startup Sukoon than I did on my DFIL, on my PhD. Uh, I, nobody really asks you any questions like, why are you not in today? Or, no, nobody does that because they just assume you're taking ownership of your PhD and doing what you're supposed to do. I think I kind of exploit that a little bit. Yeah, that's still good though. I mean, you can, it's all about balance really, isn't it? So like doing both, but I mean, I guess people who, who don't know, like what is, what's the PhD in? So it's a PhD in uh, chemical biology at the University of Oxford. I'm essentially working on synthetic tissues. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of, yeah, basically that. <laughs> you wanted to go into more detail, but you're like, uh, yeah. no, nah, I don't think anyone can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because um, it, it's one of those things which my, my parents, I, I can explain, I keep explaining it to them and like they will just, they, they, they will understand it in the moment. And then 10 minutes later, they'll be like, we're actually very unsure what you do. Can you, can you repeat that? And yeah, it's just really 
um, it's, it's one of those things where you specialize so much that nobody outside the field really understands what you're doing. So, but I mean, okay, just as a, as a guess for me, before we move on, is it, is it stuff around like, I guess, cell replication under like, under lab conditions? I saw like 3D printing of cells, no? It's really cool because I, I get to use 3D printing. I get to do a bit of welding as well, which you wouldn't imagine you'd be doing in synthetic biology, but there you go. Uh, welding, <laughs> like with metal? Yeah. I weld my electrodes uh, to take electrical current readings. Anyway, this isn't a synthetic biology podcast. Uh, I'm sure there are some of them out there if anyone's interested. However, I think it'll be really good to move on to your startup. So yeah. what, is, what is your startup for people who don't know? Who don't know? So at Sukoon, we envision reducing healthcare inequity. We're particularly focused on trying to uh, improve the effectiveness, affordability and convenience of cardiac care especially in low-income countries like Pakistan. Uh, globally, 18 million people die from cardiovascular diseases every single year. That's 34 a minute. And 75% of all of that mortality occurs in places like Pakistan. Here, we interviewed over 60 patients, and it's a really exciting time for us because actually um, over 70% of those patients, 76% of those patients said that they would be willing to pay us uh, between one and 500 Pakistani rupees to avail our uh, services. So we're really excited to be able to bring something that's more effective, affordable and convenient to these patients. Okay, cool. So it's, it's basically a, a healthcare service, like you're offering them, yeah, you're offering them like cardiac uh, support and, and stuff like that, right? Yeah. In one sentence, I'd say we're an Uber for healthcare literally okay so you, you don't provide the services yourselves you match them to people that provide it doctors we match them to cardiac nurses who will visit them at their doorstep and so then they don't have to travel to a hospital for one hour wait at the hospital for hours lose their wages because of all of that waiting and ultimately be discouraged to seek healthcare, which is what leads to all of those heart attacks and all of those deaths yeah, it's, it is it is really a shocking statistic. And I think, it, it, I mean, it is certainly like one of the leading killers amongst, well, everyone, like the whole the whole human race. But it's like, it's something I don't feel like gets talked about too much, like mm -hmm. at, at all. Like, I don't feel like it gets, I don't know. Do you feel like there is, I don't know if it's, if it's you can call it a taboo or whatever, but it's just, it doesn't really get spoken about as much as other diseases. I think it's just one of those diseases that is so pervasive that it's become normal. Unlike with cancer, where it, there's a lot of hype around cancer, and rightly so, about how it's such a grave disease and how we need to fight it. But with cardiac diseases, I think everybody can possibly think of somebody in their network who has had a, a, a heart attack or a heart surgery at some point. And if you're in a developing country, it's so common that it's completely normal. Um, and that's what's really heartbreaking. <laughs> heartbreaking uh, because it, it, it shouldn't be and people should take better care of themselves and we want to help them do that in terms of like i guess for analyzing the problem and everything like so cost and i guess time associated with waiting around for i guess if you go to a traditional hospital mm -hmm. those are the two big pain points in developing countries when it comes to you know looking after your heart yeah absolutely it's not just about looking after your heart in fact, when we first started doing customer uh, interviews, we just went to random people in Pakistan. Uh, we went to spoke to our watchmen, our drivers, uh, people who sell the vegetables. 
and just ask them what their experiences of interacting with their healthcare system were like. And uh, we also um, distributed those kind of surveys amongst our family and our friends so that we really get responses from across the socioeconomic spectrum and from different sections of society. And everyone said that they hated having to wait, having to travel. Um, the poorer sections of society were particularly affected by the loss of wages from having to take days off from work to do this. And ultimately, we found that 73% of cardiac patients in particular, they cite waiting time and travel as reasons for not seeking care. So that's quite quite shocking. So basically, if you removed waiting time and travel as barriers, 73% more people would be seeking timely care. That's really profound. That's so interesting. Like Hansa, how did you get into this? Because it's something that I guess is very apparent and it's, it's one of those problems that needs to be solved. But I guess, like, how did, how did it all start? Yeah, so that's, that's a really interesting story because um, it, it started with uh, my co-founder, Janine, and I, uh, we were part of uh, an undergraduate um, module which for which we had to come up with an idea, a business case idea. And uh, we brainstormed and we came up with the idea to solve uh, the problem of bone wounds in developing countries. Uh, and <laughs> so very different from what we're doing right now. Um, and uh, we, we were super excited about it. And I remember we came up with this business plan without speaking to a single patient, by the way. Um, and we, we were like, oh, th is this the moment? Like, you know, this is like, we're like on the cusp of building something super great. Then we went out and we spoke to patients and we realized that no, like people don't actually care so much about that problem. That's not such a big issue. The major issue is the waiting time and the travel time. Um, and of course, like um, by this point, we were part of this amazing program at, called We Innovate at Imperial College that really pushed us to go out and do this kind of discovery. And uh, we, uh, we were a three-person co-founding team with Akhilesh, who is really good with data analysis and has previously developed an app startup with Traction. So he was like, well, this... This is amazing. Uh, I mean, it's it's really sad, but it, it's 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 really interesting to get these insights and this kind of data. And he noticed that actually the biggest burden of disease is cardiovascular diseases um, in developing countries. And so we started thinking along those lines. And um, I did an analysis of the different business models that exist out there in healthcare in different countries, and I realized that. There are healthcare mo business models out there that try to solve primary healthcare in a very distributed fashion. Um, and you, so that's like your GPs or your clinics. They're little small things uh, that are spread across all over the place and they give primary healthcare. And there are things out there that do tertiary healthcare, but centralized. So the big hospital. Uh, and in the UK, there's a whole movement towards centralizing those services even more. We, one of our advisors is the non-executive director at an, an NHS hospital. And she was talking about how they're moving all of their cardiac facility to one hospital in the region, which is the, going to be the hospital for cardiac care. And so that's what uh, that centralization of tertiary care is. But 
what we are seeing when we spoke to those people is they don't want centralized tertiary care. They want the care to be distributed, to be more easily accessible and as close to their fingertips as possible. And at the same time, the problem in, in countries like Pakistan is uh, they might not be the most technologically friendly people in terms of owning a smartphone or knowing how to use a smartphone depending upon the kind of socioeconomic background they come from. So um, in this day and age, when in the first world countries, in developed countries, we're talking about making everything more digital and connecting through these amazing, amazing apps where, with our GPs and clinicians, actually in the developing countries, we don't necessarily see a similar trend or an uptake of, that, of technology on that same scale. People still want to have an in-person relationship with somebody physical, not just a bot. Um, so we took all of these principles, all of this analysis and these insights together. And that's how we came up with the idea of an Uber for healthcare. And all of this, all of this sort of, I guess, insight was gathered by actually speaking to people, right? You didn't like this wasn't from desk research. There was some desk research involved, but the most revolutionary insights that came were from speaking to people. Uh, I describe it as a bit like going in circles because you, you, it started off with that one initial brainstorm, and we selected from just our own personal brainstorm that perhaps looking at burn wounds was a great idea. But it was only when we went out and spoke to people that we realized it was a terrible idea. Uh, and there's a much bigger problem that people would like us to solve. So we came up with a new um, solution, a new idea, and then we went out and spoke to people again. And then we've just kind of been going in circles. But each time we... So you're just continuously, just continuously yeah. testing like new, the new, the new idea with new people and just getting more and more feedback, which is what like you should be doing for sure. Yeah, I think this is basically how we use the lean technique in our startup. Um, I, I, and I suppose uh, every startup like kind of strives to achieve it. So when um, we're all, all three of us are scientists and you can see that we're kind of being very scientific about it in some ways. But it's good. Like I, I see it in, in many businesses where you get scientific founders, you get technical founders, you get more sort of business minded founders mm -hmm. or creative founders. And they all kind of, they have strengths in different areas. And it's really interesting to see how they test products or how yeah. they test ideas. Like they test them in very creative or different ways. With you, it was very, it was very sort of, uh, analytical I suppose like asking people whereas other people would create a, a, a really like low-tech product using mm. existing technology and just literally give it to someone and see how they see how they like interact with it so that's why I love sort of the, the early stages of how people test their ideas yeah so but that, that's the difference with uh, health tech versus other tech I think especially if your health tech like for us it's it's a service so you can't just go out there and prototype a service without getting the nurses on board, without showing the nurses we have patients interested. And on top of that, because it's it's healthcare, we're asking people to entrust us with their lives. We have to be so sure of what we're doing. Um, so it's, it's you can't really just push out a crude version of, of what we're doing. You, you just can't, it's too risky. This is something that I really want to talk to you about because we've never had, like we were talking about this before you start recording. We, I don't think we've had a single health tech business on the podcast before, which is mm -hmm. kind of surprising because we're like 40 plus episodes in and it's pretty, it's quite a big area at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, I guess you spoke about it where 
you know they are the going into health tech is can be pretty different to going into other industries yeah so i guess what are the main differences and what like for people who want to get into that industry with with like their own startups if they had if they had their own ideas what are the main sort of obstacles or challenges oh there's so many obstacles um so this is not my first and ones especially that are unique unique to health tech yeah well. yeah um this is so this is not my first health tech that i've set up i've tried to set up a couple before as well and each time I hit a bunch of roadblocks, I didn't know how to solve and the startup fell apart. But then the next time I hit those roadblocks, I thankfully learned a workaround. And I, I think it's just that kind of process. So a, if you're a health tech entrepreneur like, and it doesn't work out on your first go, like don't be discouraged, set up something again and just kind of achieve that overall vision of building healthier communities and reducing inequity or whatever your vision is. You can't, like I was saying earlier, you can't really just make a crude prototype necessarily of something without needing a lot of resources and a lot of expertise on board. And for that, you need to have a lot of evidence to know that what you're trying to do is going to work and people are going to want it. So the best way to do it is to just try to go out and like talk to as many patients as possible, interact with as many stakeholders as possible, and a lot of networking, so talking to doctors, other entrepreneurs in health tech. And we've just learned so much, actually, by talking to other entrepreneurs and other CEOs and uh, people who've done this before to understand what challenges they faced exactly and how and it, it, it was enlightening because it's very easy to go down a certain route and think, oh, this would be great, like if we could bring an app that does this to the NHS, it would save the NHS so much money. That'd be amazing. But then you go talk to an entrepreneur who tried building some app for the NHS and then the other one's like, yeah, it's not gonna work because I went down that route and the NHS was super resistant to taking it up and they had all of these other issues. So that's the sort of thing which really helps you in, especially in health tech, uh, just talking to as many stakeholders as possible very 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 early on before you try to build anything there's two things that i'd love to pick up on there one is i guess the difficulty in navigating i guess health tech within i guess countries like the uk where where health is a bit more public mm -hmm. rather than going to developing countries where it's primarily private like it must have been i guess a challenge for you there so that's like my first question mm -hmm. and the second one actually i'll let you answer this and then i'll go to the second okay. one um so I, I don't know. I think it goes both ways. So with everything being so public uh, in, the, in the UK, it's harder for us to convince a customer to pay for healthcare because they're like, we'll just get it for free through the NHS. Um, and then the NHS is like, well, you have to go through this long bureaucratic process to potentially uh, get, get us to be um, sign signed on. So it's, it's in some ways, it's more challenging in the UK, whereas in developing countries like Pakistan and I'm from India. So in India, people are very used to paying for their own health care. Um, and it's at the same time, it's quite sad because uh, a lot of communities end up spending 80 percent of their monthly savings on health care, which are catastrophic costs and drives people into debt and poverty. And it is also the reason why uh, a certain mentality that exists is if I'm going to die, I might as well die for free at home than to pay to die at a hospital. And so that is where there's both a challenge and a need for the consumers to have something more affordable 
as well as a willingness for them at the same time to pay for something if it is indeed more effective and affordable. And that's why we chose, and of course, that's where the burden of the disease is as well. So that's why I, I really see a bigger opportunity in developing countries. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. And here's here's my second question. It flows in very nicely, actually. We had someone on the podcast previously, Nav Shawley. He he makes washing machines for developing countries. Mm-hmm. It's called the Washing Machine Project. It's episode number, oh God, <laughs> it's one of the early ones, so it's going to be quite challenging. Maybe episode number 13, but okay. don't quote me on that. I'll put it in the in the description if people want to find it. But so he was saying how the majority of people in the world, they live in developing countries. That's just the that's the reality. Right. Mm -hmm. But the majority of startups that come up are focusing on the minority. They're focusing on the Western Mm -hmm. countries and, you know, the UK, the US, Canada, that, that sort of thing, like Western Europe. And he, and he just, he, he really found it confusing because he was like, the, the problems, the majority of the problems exist in developing countries. Mm. And that's where also the majority of the people live. So it's like, why aren't we building more startups for those people in developing countries? And so I guess for, for you, like it made sense for you to do that because like with the NHS, it didn't really make sense because it was like a long bureaucratic process. And at the same time, like when you went to Pakistan, the problem was way bigger than I guess you first anticipated. So I don't know if that's a question, but it's just like, it's just <laughs> yeah. quite profound to me. So I I, I agree with uh, some of what he said. I don't agree with the first bit about that. The fact that we are there, that most startups are focused on developing countries because that completely ignores the fact that there are so many startups coming out of the developing countries uh, for the developing countries. Um, some of the most entrepreneurial places are not where you expect them to be. Uh, you, traditionally, you'd think that, okay, London or Silicon Valley are entrepreneurial hubs, but you only need to go to, um, like, I don't, I don't know, like a really poor community with very few resources to see true entrepreneurship flourishing and thriving. Refugee camps full of entrepreneurs because that's how they make their livelihood. And entrepreneurship exists in all places. And I think there there just isn't enough funding and institutions to support those entrepreneurs in those developing countries. And I think we, uh, Sukoon, are in a very lucky position to be from universities and communities here in the UK that we're getting that funding and support and still able to build something for a developing country. But I absolutely think that the, the, there's like a wild, wild entrepreneurial um, ethos that is just inherent in people who have very little uh, resources and they just have to make do and be creative with them. I think I kind of paraphrase them because I think he would actually agree with you. The sort of message he wanted to convey was that the startups coming out of, I guess, Western Europe and like the UK, US, they're focusing a lot on their their, yeah. their own country. That's what he was saying. And it's like, you're right. You're fully right. Yeah. The, the, like entrepreneurial spirit definitely exists whenever whenever people are, are desperate, like within refugee camps or in developing countries. And so, but they just don't have the the, the financial sectors or, or I guess PR. any sort of supportive. Yeah, they don't have that yeah. stuff and it's really tragic. Yeah. But in the UK, like that, that does exist. At the same time, I do, I do understand why entrepreneurs uh, in developing countries would be building something for developing countries because ultimately you can only, you can only see problems. You can only solve problems that you can see and understand and properly visualize. 
Um, so one of my other startups, we wanted to take um, an eco-friendly period product to underprivileged communities in Malawi and South Sudan. And it was born out of a makeathon with uh, doc- MSF Doctors Without Borders, who suggested this as a problem. Uh, but the reason why we had to pivot away from that and eventually just do something for the UK was because we just did not have anybody on the ground to advise us on exactly what problems those women were facing. And it just became an impossible, like logistically impossible task to collect interviews and feedback. It's not a problem we have with Sukoon because Janine is Pakistani and she's on the ground and we've expanded our team on the ground as well. So I, I, I understand the challenges that people in developing countries are facing in not being able to understand what problems are in, in sorry, people in developed countries are facing and not being able to understand what challenges exist in developing countries and build setups for them. So I think in the future, if we want more people from developed societies and economies building things that are that can go to those developing economies, then we need to have more programs that specifically enable them to do that, that somehow facilitate discussion and exchange with those communities uh, so that people can explore those problems. Before we hit record, Hansa mentioned how team culture was something that was really important to her, especially around the growth of Sukoon and how it's actually thrived so much. She's worked at previous startups before where the team culture hasn't been so electric and it hasn't been so welcoming of, of disagreements and different points of view. And she really attributed to the, the team culture as to you know how well Sukoon has grown. And so I really wanted to get her thoughts on team culture and I guess why she thinks that's led to you know massive you know growth within Sukoon, uh, leading to you know different pivoting and stuff like that. I think um, it was it's really interesting. So there were, the first setup that I tried to build, my co-founder and I were good friends and we got along well, but we just had very different priorities. Um, we got when we didn't make a lot of progress on a startup, we quickly got busy in other things. And the startup just became the bottom of the list sort of thing. And it, it just kind of fell apart. And then there was another team where, uh, again, we just had very different priorities and visions, like how we envision our team roles or who's... I, I think we were struggling in that team to, in fact, even appoint like one person who could make a decision. And we were a team of like eight people. And I personally feel like that was not a good idea. If you're that big a team, you need to have a group of at least, if not one person, then a group of like two or three people who are taking ownership of the startup to a greater extent than the other people are. And when you're kind of resistant to do, to have the proper team structure or to have a unified vision, that's when I think a startup really starts to fall apart. And it's something that we've somehow uh, managed to do pretty well with Sukoon. So since um, very early on, uh, Sukun's only a year old, I think in about month one or max month two, we sat down and we spent an entire week, a week, though we have weekly meetings. So we spent that entire meeting just discussing what the Sukun vision is. What is it that really drives each of us three co-founders to work on the startup, regardless of our jobs, our PhDs and um, work till late nights and early mornings on this. And we found that it was reducing healthcare inequity. I think that can be very different for each different startup, but just coming up with that vision was so important. 
because then when we went out and we spoke to the customers, potential customers, and they said, well, basically your idea is shit about burns. We, it wasn't like, okay, well, you know, let's pack up and go home. It was like, no, 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 no. Healthcare inequity exists. Our vision is to reduce healthcare inequity. We've got to find a way to do that. And so we dug deeper into the feedback that they had given and we found a way to do that. Or at least we think so, pending further feedback from the users. So um, I think having that vision is one really important thing. And the other thing is uh, just having very open discussions. So again, around the same time, we also had discussions about our previous startups or the, whenever we worked in a different, in a project team and stuff we thought was really funny or silly about, um, or stuff we didn't like or we found annoying in the, while working in those teams. And it, it, it really helped us understand what expectations we had from each other as co-founders. Um, and I think every, and having that open discussion is really useful. Um, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow, uh, which is going to be like a reflection meeting. And it's going to be like, you know, one year on after working for a whole year, what do we think went well? What do we think we could have seen more of from each other? And that kind of wording is important because it means we're giving each other constructive criticism to improve. Um, and we're all very receptive and open to this. There were times when I was quite scared or anxious. Mm, of course, there's a lot of anxiety around whether the staff's going to work around, but I was anxious because uh, Janine had taken up a job and I had started a PhD and it seemed like Achilles was going to take up a job as well, and he has. Um, and I was really anxious that we we're all going to get too busy to work on this, uh, our baby. And um, I, I really love that I could take that anxiety to my co-founder and say, I'm so anxious about you going, joining the new job. Like, will we actually have time to work on this? And, uh, and, and we discussed it and, and she made me feel better about it. And we still have time to work on it. And having those kinds of discussions, that constructive feedback, that unified vision, it's, it's been really helpful. And finally, also, um, just have some fun. We have movie nights. There was this one time when Akhilesh and I actually kidnapped Janine and put her in the boot of her own car. Um, and we, we had Wait, fun. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, back up? <laughs> that all made sense until that last bit or what? <laughs> It was it was a dare. It, I mean, it was a bet. So she she said she could get out of the boot of a car if somebody locked her in, and we were like, "No way, you can do that." And then we ended up testing it on a variety of different cars, and it, it turns out she can't. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> so we have fun as well. We we do deep introspective reflection, give each other constructive criticism, but then we also have fun. And I think a lot of startup co-founders stop having fun after they become business partners. I think that's such a wonderful message, Hansa. I think I actually think we should probably end there because that's such a nice message. Like, <laughs> keep having fun on your on your like. Don't forget basically where you came from and why you started it because you know to have fun. And just one thing I I, I want to I guess end on is is the unified vision and how important that is. I feel because like inevitably the the startup's going to pivot. Yeah. And I mean yours yours is a very good example of that. And so when you have a unified vision, you know everyone sharing the same goals fundamentally then, you know, if if your startup pivots, it will still, you know, the ambition overall will still be the same. So, you know, for you is to reduce healthcare inequality. And so when you have that unified vision, 
you you as a team can really navigate those pivoting periods because they they are the toughest periods because they hold the most uncertainty and so yeah i i think that's fundamentally you know critical to success because you know unified vision is is really important within within that team culture yeah completely agree so yeah last message from you i guess is have fun on the whole journey don't stress about it too much don't get anxious like you did before because you know there's no point really is there you could just enjoy the whole journey yeah and if you, if you get anxious hopefully you have uh, good co-founders and if you're a sole founder you have a good support system to rely on okay thank you so much hansa for coming on the podcast it was such a pleasure having you on and um yeah our first ever health tech startup on the podcast is exciting thank you so um, much <laughs> How can people stay in touch with you and stay in touch with your with your business, stay in touch with Sukoon going forward? So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Hansa Shri. Uh, and my Instagram handle is at Shri Hansa. Uh, not sure why I reversed it between the two platforms, but there you go. Uh, our business has a LinkedIn page. So if you just search for Sukoon CBD Health in LinkedIn, it should come up. We don't have a website yet, but I like to think that that just makes us more intriguing. Yeah, mysterious. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Hansa. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll see each other soon. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for staying to the very end. It means so much that you guys are staying to the very end of the episodes. It, it really does. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts and I'll give you a shout out in the next episode of a way of saying thank you. If you're not on Apple or if you're on Apple, uh, follow us on Instagram. That's where the new episodes get announced. It's at The Millennial Entrepreneur Pod. It's in the description as well. That's where all the new episodes get announced along with all the audiograms, all the previews, all of that good stuff and also dropping some other content, inspirational stuff to keep you motivated during the week. So uh, yeah, share with your friends also and I'll see you in the next episode.